1959, a group was formed for a skiing expedition across the northern Urals in Sverdlovsk Oblast, Soviet Union. They didn't know it yet, but this trek would cement them in history for the wrong reason. Welcome to the Higher Theories Conspiracy Podcast. I am your host, Katrina. And I am your other host, Jamie. On today's episode, the Dyatlov Pass Incident. How this episode will start is we will discuss the Dyatlov Pass Incident. What's thought to have happened, interesting facts about the story, and then wrap it up with our personal theories. This story is of a mountain climbing crew who suffered a terrible fate, now known as the Dyatlov Pass Incident. Let's rewind the tape and start from the beginning, shall we? Also, fair warning, some of these names are hard to pronounce, so bear with us. Yes, we will probably butcher some, but I've practiced, so. This group included the following individuals. Igor Dyatlov, aged 23. Yuri Doroshenko, aged 21. Ludmila Dubanina, aged 20. She was one of the females in the group. Georgi Kreveshenko, aged 23. Alexander Kolotov, aged 24. Zenida Kolomagrova, aged 22, another one of the females of the group. Nikolai Briganols, aged 23. Rustam Sablodin, aged 23. Simon Zolotaryov, aged 38, and Yuri Yudin, aged 21. And actually, Yuri left the incident early due to illness. He didn't know it at the time, but that illness saved his life. He lived to a ripe age of 75 and died on April 27, 2013. So the group consisted of eight men and two women. This crew is a highly trained group of hikers. They all currently held their grade 2 hiker certificate, and this hike was to get them their grade 3, which is the highest grade you can get. So, these men and women were extremely experienced. Isn't it funny though that, like, grade 3 is the highest? <laughs> you think, like, something a little more up there would be the highest? <laughs> the date is January 25th, 1959. The crew rides a train and arrives in Ividel, a town in, at the center of the northern province of Sverdlovsk Oblast. They then took a truck to Vizhai, a lorry village that is the last inhabited settlement to the north. While spending the night in Vizhai, the skiers purchased and ate loaves of bread to keep their energy levels up for the following day's hike. Their trek began on January 27th, and by the 28th is when Yuri turned back due to illness and a knee pain that made it impossible for him to continue the trip. The rest would continue on for the next few days through snowstorms and worsening visibility. On the 31st of January, the group arrived at the edge of a highland area and began to prepare for climbing. 
In a wooded valley, they collected berries and whatever food and equipment that would be used for the trip back. By the next day, the hikers started to move through the pass. It seemed they planned to get over the pass and make camp for the next night on the opposite side. But because of worsening weather conditions, those snowstorms and decreasing visibility, they lost their direction and started to head west, towards the top of Kohlat Skyhill. Once the group realized their mistake, instead of heading back down to a forest area, that would have provided them shelter from the conditions, the group decided to camp on the mountainside. It was thought they did this so they wouldn't lose the altitude they gained from the climb. So before they left, Dyatlov had agreed he would communicate via telegram to their sports club when they had completed the climb and had returned to Vizhai. This was expected to last no later than February 12th. But when Yuri departed from the group after the first day, Dyatlov had mentioned to him that he expected it to take a few days longer. So, when February 12th passed and there was no communications, there was no immediate reaction from the sports club. I would have been a little bit more concerned knowing that there was no communication. It would be scary, but when uh, Yuri told them that Dyatlov had mentioned that it would last a few days longer, I would probably, you know, maybe not be too worried. But then again, you always have to take precautions, <coughs> so why was it going to take a few days longer, right? If it was bad weather conditions, then that should raise some concerns and worry the uh, sports club for sure. By February 20th though, family members demanded a search and rescue mission to be held to find the hikers. The sports club sent the first group of rescuers that consisted of hiking teachers and students, which was soon followed by the army with the use of airplanes and helicopters. It wasn't until February 26th that one of the student volunteers found the group's tent that they had set up on the night of the 31st, on the mountainside. Something shocked the search party though. The student who found the tent said, and I quote, the tent was half torn down and covered with snow. It was empty and all the group's belongings and shoes had been left behind. Apparently the tent had been cut from the inside. Nine sets of footprints left by those wearing only socks or a single shoe, or even barefoot, could be followed, leading down to the edge of the nearby woods on the opposite side of the pass. Now, why would they leave barefoot? Could they have been running from something? Just at the forest's edge, they found the remains of a small fire, indicating one or more of the hikers were able to set up some type of fire about 500 feet from their campsite. Want to know what else they found by this fire? Right under a tree was the bodies of Georgi Krevishenko and Yuri Doroshenko. They both were shoeless and wearing only their underwear. The tree they were under had branches broken up about 5 meters in height. 
That kind of sounds like one of them were trying to climb up the tree in a panic, hey? It does. It sounds a little like an attempt to escape from something. Like a bear, maybe? Could there's, be. Are there, there's bears in, in Russia, I'm pretty sure. But they had a fire built, so... I mean, they were... But that's the thing, they had a fire built, but why were they, like, basically naked? All they had was their underwear on. You'd think you'd still be cold in the middle of winter on a mountain. Well, sometimes people take their clothes off to put body heat together, you know? Yeah, but they only do that when they're in, like, a panicked state. Right? So it kind of seems like maybe they were panicked. Between the pine and the camp, the searchers found three more corpses. Igor Dyatlov, Zanita Kolomogrova, and Rustam Slobodan, who were found in poses suggesting that they died attempting to return to the tent. The odd fact here is that they were all found at different distances from the tent. One was found about 300, 480, and 630 meters from the tree. That's pretty crazy, hey? They were all found at different uh, different distances from the from yeah. the tree. Wouldn't you just want to stay together? You'd, you'd think they would want to stick together, but then maybe that indicates that one of them died, two of them kept going, and then one of them died, and then the last person kept going and reached 630 meters from the tree. Sure. That's pretty, pretty intense. That's weird. So this guy was 630 meters from the tree, returning to the tent, but the tent was 500 feet from the campsite. So, because of worsening storms, they had to put a halt on the search. It was a while before a better search party could be posted to the location. That led to the last four being found more than two months later on May 4th, under four feet of snow in a ravine. This ravine was in the forest the others died nearby, 75 meters to be exact. Well yeah, I guess it's a long time, but I guess maybe in those mountains they have a period of time where the, the snowstorms are so bad that they can't uh, bring anybody in to search. Three of the four were better prepared clothing-wise compared to the others. And there were signs that some clothing of those who had died first had been removed for use by others. That's weird how they would... I guess... I guess if you had died then, you would want to... Or if your friend had died, you would want to uh, kind of survive as well, so maybe take their clothing. To... What if that's basically what the two bodies were? What if they and move them there. And put them under the tree? Yeah. Or what if they died at the fire? And then I'm like everyone everyone was at the fire. Trying to keep But them. these guys, they were found in the ravine. So did they end up splitting from the other three that tried to go back to the tent? Maybe an altercation went down. Maybe. So... They essentially were there when the others died or shortly after. When Kravishenko 
and Doroshenko died, they must have removed their clothes for extra protection. Or do you think they killed the two by the tree and retreated into the forest when the other three found them? That would be interesting. Um, I mean, they were going in separate directions, right? These guys were found in the ravine and the others were found trying to return to the tent. So that could be possible, actually. It's an interesting theory. I like that. Maybe those three ran back to the tent to grab weapons, and that's when the three by the tent died. Like the three in the three separate distances to the tent? Hmm. Could be. Dubanina was wearing Kravashenko's burned, torn trousers, and her left foot and shin were wrapped in a torn jacket. Some of the injuries were questionable, too. It ranged, but they all suffered, that's for sure. Slobodin had a small crack in his skull, but it was not thought to be a fatal wound. Three of the hikers had fatal injuries. Thibaut Briganoles had major skull damage, and Dubina and Zolotarov had major chest fractures. Like, what else could have done that to them, other than a, another human? You know, those major skull damage and chest fractures? It <clears throat> seems like they were fighting something. Yeah. The abominable snowman. <laughs> <laughs> the hikers in the ravine, their injuries were so much worse. All four bodies were found at the bottom of the creek in this ravine, in a running stream of water. They all had soft tissue damage to their head and face. For example, Ludomila Dabanina was missing her tongue, eyes, part of her lips, as well as a facial tissue and a fragment of skull bone. Wanna know the craziest part of the info we have on her? Her clothes tested positive for radiation. That's crazy. Like, who? She's missing her tongue and her eyes, her lips, and facial tissue. And she tested positive for radiation. Like, what the hell? This is not no fucking avalanche. It's not no bear. The, what if the radiation caused them to go through hallucinations and they ended up becoming cannibals against each other? Ooh. The cold as well could have gotten to them as. Maybe, maybe the lips because of the cold, but. A Where very, did the radiation come from? Yeah, very high high levels of it, actually. One of the other guys, Zolotorov, had his eyeballs missing, too. But Alexander Ekolotov, his eyebrows were missing. So, in total for injuries, six were stated to have died of hypothermia, and three others from fatal injuries. What the hell eats eyeballs? Especially, like, in the mountains in Russia. The abominable snowman. Ooh. <laughs> that could be interesting. But we'll save that for another talk. On higher theories. <laughs> so in the end, the official conclusion was that the group members had died because of a compelling natural force. Hypothermia and injuries unexplainably caused by nature. The inquest officially ceased in May 1959, 
as a result of the absence of a guilty party. Then the files were sent to a secret archive. Don't ask how we got them. <laughs> There's more though. In February 2019, Russian authorities reopened the investigation into the incident. Although only three possible explanations were being considered. An avalanche, a slab avalanche, or a hurricane. The possibilities of a crime had been discounted. It wasn't until July 11, 2020, that Andrei Kiryakov, deputy head of the Ural's Federal District, directorate of the Prosecutor General's Office, announced an avalanche to be an official cause of death for the Dyatlov group in 1959. Later, independent co computer simulation and analysts by Swiss researchers also suggest avalanche as the cause. Theorists argue a few things, though. What type of things? There was no signs of an avalanche. The first three were found under a very light layer of snow. If there was an avalanche, there would be more snow covering them. Mm -hmm. Not to mention, no branches other than by their fire were broken. Also, their tent was still intact, which was downhill from the fire. So, if an avalanche came down through there, there would be a lot more evident damage. And I don't really think that the fire would be there. Yeah. Well, the fire itself wasn't still lit, I don't think. Well, they wouldn't really know if there was a fire lit there, an avalanche had happened. True, it would definitely brush away all the fire. The footprints leaving the tent didn't indicate anyone in a panic. Even though the tent area seemed like it was vacated in a hurry. The footprints leaving the tent were in a calm manner at a regular walking pace. Since this expedition, there have been over a hundred treks to the area and higher, and it has had a hundred percent survival rate since. Not only that, there has not been an avalanche there since this supposed avalanche happened. Some explanations have been given from professionals and skeptics alike. In 2019, a Swedish-Russian expedition was made to the site, and after investigations, they proposed that a violent catabatic wind was a plausible explanation for the incident. Do you know what catabatic winds are? No, I don't. So, catabatic winds are quite rare and can be pretty damn violent. If a sudden catabatic wind happens, it would have made it impossible to remain in the tent and the most rational course of action would have been for the hikers to cover the tent with snow, maybe to deafen the sound or run and seek shelter behind the tree line. On top of that, there was also a torch left turned on, possibly left there intentionally so that the hikers could find their way back to the tent once the winds subsided. In one speculation, the campsite fell within the path of Soviet parachute mine exercise. This theory alleges, alleges that the hikers, woken by loud explosions, left the tent in a shoeless panic and found themselves unable to return to, for their clothes due to bombs falling on them. After some members froze to death attempting to endure the bombardment, the others commandeered their clothing only to be fatally injured by subs subsequent parachute mine concussions. And guess what? 
There are actually records of parachute mines being tested by the Soviet military in the area. Around the same time the hikers were there. So, if you didn't know what parachute mines are, parachute mines detonate while still in the air rather than upon striking the Earth's surface, and could produce injuries similar to those experienced by the hikers found in the ravine. The heavy internal damage with relatively little external trauma would be caused by those types of blasts. The theory coincides with reported sightings of glowing orange orbs floating or falling in the sky within the general vicinity of the hikers. This theory, among others, uses scavenging animals to explain Dubiena's injuries. Her eyes missing and everything. That would probably explain um, the squishiest parts being taken first, right? Like the, the eyeballs and the lips and the tongue. Yeah. Right? That would, that would probably explain those. And that would probably, um, weapons testing could explain the radiation found. Right, well, like what else sucks. could, what else could, you know, produce radiation like Covering that? Covering it up with an avalanche. Right, like high, maybe the bombing caused an avalanche. Maybe they got hit by a bomb and an avalanche. Crazy. Some speculate that the bodies were unnaturally manipulated on the basis of characteristic liver mortis markings discovered during an, during an autopsy as well as burns to hair and skin now. Now, personal theory time. Do you, want, do you have any personal theories? Not really. No? Do you have any thoughts on the... on the subject? I just think it's... in my opinion, it's just all, all over the place, you know? There's so much questions. It's very confusing, because obviously everyone wants to know what really happened. Right. But... And there's almost no way to tell by now. The only survivor out of that group is the one that left the day after they started. Yuri, yeah. He visits the, uh, there's a tombstone up at the site, and Yuri goes and visits. Often he said, which is a pretty good, pretty good thing. My theory, though, get ready. A fight broke out due to a sexual interaction. Dun dun dun. The lack of clothing on some indicate that they may have been caught in the act. So, they fled the others by cutting their way out of the side of the tent because whoever caught them would have been standing at the entrance of the tent. And maybe whoever caught them was in love with one of the two in the tent. There they set up the fire to stay warm due to the lack of clothing they had. The three that died on their way to the tent could have been coming back after not finding the two lovebirds right away, but died due to the cold temperatures. The others had enough time to get dressed and then made their way to search for them all, but they may have ventured in the wrong direction and ended up falling in the ravine. After falling in the ravine, the shock killed them, or at least knocked them unconscious. While unconscious, wildlife did its thing, and birds and small animals ate their eyeballs and tongues, and that one dude's eyebrows. 
So that's the Dyatlov Pass incident. There's a ton more to cover up. But we don't want to make you sit here all day. There is a movie about this incident. It's a fiction though. <laughs> the movie is about five hikers who hike up the same area to investigate and things take a turn for the worse. It's an action horror thriller. But it's not a documentary, so don't get disappointed when you find out what you see in the movie didn't happen. We want to thank all the people who listen to this podcast. You can find us on Instagram, YouTube, Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts, and everywhere else you listen to your favorite podcast. If you want to help us out, a quick five-star review does the best. Thank you. <laughs> that was our outro. <laughs> <laughs> Alright. That's our outro. <laughs> you gonna auto-tune me? Bam, <laughs> <laughs>